Taiwanese farmers trying to protect their fields of red beans from small birds often resort to spraying their crops with pesticide to kill them off. But then, scavenging eagles come and eat the poisoned corpses of those little birds, and they end up getting poisoned themselves. The exhibit shows how recently, conservationists have convinced farmers in Taiwan to use alternative methods to protect their crops, using machines to press their roots down deep into the soil so small birds can't get them. Ms. Xu says this final part of the exhibit seeks to get people thinking about how our actions impact all the beautiful nature we've just been shown and imagine better ways of coexisting with Taiwan's nature. We've learned a lot from Ms. Xu this week, but we're hardly done when it comes to this exhibit. There's a whole separate wing that focuses on Taiwan's man-made treasures. Next week, we'll talk to another museum curator to discuss the kaleidoscope of cultures found on this land. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Today, my guest is all the way in Singapore. His name is Brian Ong, who is the head of APAC Engineering um, at Stripe. That's the name of the company. It's a payment processing unicorn. So if you understand technology firms, then you understand this term. <laughs> okay. At, at least that's what Brian told me. Well, okay, let's meet Brian. Hi, Brian. Hello, Shirley. Hello, everyone. Yes, so good to have you on my show and um, and making this time, you know, even though you are working right now in Singapore. But anyway, you are Taiwanese. You are originally from Taiwan. You're actually from Taipei, right? Uh, yes. The capital city of Taiwan. You went to, I would say, the top university in Taiwan. That's the National Taiwan University, uh, majoring in electrical engineering. So yes. that was already some time ago. But so right after you graduating, you moved to the States to study master's and PhD? Yes. Yeah. Oh. That, was, uh, that was a long time ago. That was almost 20 years ago already. Ah, yeah. you're revealing your age. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, I should probably not do that. <laughs> no, no, okay. So, but you were in the States for like, uh, you said 14 years in total. Yeah, 14 years. Yeah, you yes. t- spent five years studying your master's and PhD, and then um, and then you were there working and everything for a total of 14 years. So, um, why, why electrical engineering in the beginning? What was it that okay. attracted you to... Uh, this uh, this field. Yeah, you know, that that that's a very good question, and <laughs> I think many people in Taiwan at my time there, uh, when I was uh, studying high school, we didn't actually think much about like what we wanted to do, and you know, all the parents and uh, teachers are kind of encouraging uh, you you go to whatever you know school or department as long as you can get in from the college entrance exam. Right. So it, it really depends on how high you score in those exams. And then you uh, put down your, uh, you know, priority uh, in terms right. of like That is right. Yeah. So, right. right. So that's yeah. basically what I was doing. Yeah. Thanks for explaining yeah. that because that's how Taiwan's yeah. education is, is that you have to take this uh, college entrance exam. And depending on how well you do on the exam, that decides where or what field, what major you get into. And so that's right. Was National Taiwan University your first choice or was it your parents' first choice? (laughs) That's a tricky question. I I think that's like uh, every student, because they know that's the most prestigious school. So Mm -hmm. I guess it becomes everyone's top choice also. Um, And I... 
I did very well at school, you know, uh, mm. you know all the coursework uh, exam scores are really high. Um, so I can basically choose anywhere I want to. So at the time, Taiwan, uh, National Taiwan U- University and especially in le- electrical engineering department is ranked number one there. Mm. So that is why I, basically the reason I chose, particularly because of I was interested in transistors or, yeah, no, <laughs> no, yeah. Okay. So then... What was it like um, studying at National Taiwan University at NTU? What was it like? Was it disappointing? Was it what you expected? Uh, did you feel a lot of pressure? Did you feel lonely? Did you feel depressed? Yeah, were you under a lot of stress? Or were you just like flying off your chair while you're taking courses there? So, you know, it, National Taiwan University attracts all the best students from Taiwan, right? Every place is in Taiwan. Mm. So while you, you know, you you are probably one of the best set of students in your high school right. classes, and then when you when when you go to the uh, National Taiwan University, you find other people like you, you know, mm-hmm. all in one class now. So uh, it become very competitive mm. uh, in order to like if if you want to stay, you know, rank high in terms of grades mm. in, in the class. Mm. Yeah, so. And then you cannot have like 50, you know, rank number one in the class, right? There must be like, uh, you know, rank 50, <laughs> the, the person uh, who, who ranked the least or yeah. scored the least in those exams, right? Yeah. So you got to accept that at some point of time. Okay? Yeah. So that was my, you know, first realization of that uh, because you basically a lot of, you, you find those you know, super talented people mm. um, in a class. And then they not only do well, very well in the uh, academic field, but also they can like uh, do very well at sports or, you know, uh, your other activities, extracurricular activities. Yeah. So it's an eye-opening experience for me, definitely. Well, it sounds like you took it pretty well. Um, are you a sportive person yourself too? Did you, I mean, yeah, do you, yes, you, I, you like sports too? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so I, that helps. Yes. I mean, right, helps. yes, I think it helps to if you are sportive, that you're always exercising. It helps with your studies. It helps with your brain. Your brain works better that way. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, all right. Did you make a lot of friends while you were there at NTU? Yeah, yes. And are you still in so, touch with them? Some of them, because many of my friends actually took the same path of, uh, you know, eventually uh, when to study abroad. In right. U.S. or Europe, and then some of them actually still in the field of technology industry, working in other big companies or smaller companies. Mm. So we got in touch, and thanks to Facebook or you know Instagram, those social media, so we still uh, subscribe or follow each other. Oh. So I know what they are doing, see their day-to-day lives. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. Now, um, when you were in the states, uh, the first job I think that after you, yeah. oh no. It was like the first internship that you got after yeah. graduating was yeah. uh, was working for the AI team at Facebook. Yeah. You yeah. want to talk about that? Yeah. So it was uh, so my first job like out of uh, PhD program at that time. It was 2011, so it's quite early. So mm-hmm. I at that time I was like really confused about what I wanted to do because before I went to US, I was thinking about becoming a professor. But oh. later on, when I was really studying the PhD, I realized that, you know, a lot of the research problems 
only a very small set of people care about your research results uh-huh. or ideas, right? So yeah. you wrote those papers, academic papers. Uh, if you are not very successful, then maybe the things you produce only resonate with, say, 100 people in the world, right? Uh-huh. So it's a kind of wondering, starting to wonder if, if that's what I wanted to do for my life. Mm. And I started to look out and to see like what other options I could have. So I went to Wall Street, you know, there are a lot, of, there's a thing called quant. Uh, basically, it's a quantitative trading type of uh, job where you do mathematical modeling, analysis on stock market or some derivatives like financial, mm. uh, do trading and make money from it. Or uh, there's at that time, it, it was just at, right after the financial, you know, recession. You uh-huh. know, U.S. has a, you know, you know these subscribe, uh, uh, what is it, the mortgage stuff. Right, oh. so everything collapsed, and then there are a few companies re, uh, started to arise, and then there's this thing called social network, right? At that right. Time. And um, when I was at, so I went to Caltech uh, for my PhD, and then mm. uh, at the end of that, uh, every year or something like that, there's this career fair type of thing where companies, if they are hiring, they came to the campus right. and try to recruit people who are going to. Right. So I started to see that only a handful of companies are still hiring. One is those, you know, uh, Wall Street firms, they're uh, recruiting quants because Caltech is a very uh, science and engineering focused school, right? Mm. The other type of companies are uh, computer science type of uh, companies. Mm. And Facebook was one of them. And at that time, Facebook was, was a, a fairly popular startup pre-IPO company mm-hmm. but not yet ipo'd so um so it's famous but people don't really understand didn't really understand what they were doing but then i was approached and then they told me that they're working on like machine learning type of problems uh, mm-hmm. how to you know help people make friends on facebook this social network so i was really like interested in that idea so in the end yeah. I, I joined that team and yeah, because we'll so, we're we're mm-hmm. talking about twenty years ago, right? When Facebook was uh, not about, about ten years ago. Ten years ago. Ten, ten years ago. Okay. Yeah, well, ten years ago. Facebook yeah. was popular then. Yeah, it was popular, but not super popular. Not today. super popular. Oh yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. So you you joined Facebook right. with the uh, AI team. At that time, there was not really structuring AI, AI team, but it was oh. under the so-called user growth team, but they okay. are AI-related problems. Okay. Uh, so the specific problem I was working on is called uh, a feature called people you may know. If you use Facebook, you probably see these features uh, many times. Oh, Basically, yes. a suggestion unit that, friend suggestion unit that asks you if you know this person right. or not. And then yeah. to make, so become friends with them, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was, uh, you know, oh, uh, one of very small team. Actually, oh. at that time, only two people working on it. So I was one of them, oh. one of that small team. Oh, okay. Were, um, when you were working at Facebook, were there a lot of, uh, uh, were there many other townies people working there? Uh, not too many. Uh, I think for the whole company, it's probably less than 10 Taiwanese. And many of them were either background like me who uh, went to U.S. for, you know, graduate studies mm-hmm. or not. Or some of them are actually like immigrants. You know, they moved to, to yeah. U.S. at a very young age. I see. Uh, so not to, it's not, not yet a famous company to work at. 
uh, at that time. Yeah. Oh, all right. What was living in the States like? I mean, you were there 14 years. That's pretty long. What right. are some of the things uh, you miss about the States? I think I, I spent the whole time in California. So Caltech was in Southern California, near the uh, LA, Los Angeles area, yes. right? And then uh, Facebook was in is in Silicon Valley, where near a, a city called Palo Alto. Yeah. So both of these area are, you know, a, a little suburban area where you don't you don't have that city like feeling, unlike uh-huh. you know big cities in Asia like Taipei. Uh-huh. Um, so it, it's it's just very different. Yeah. And then you need to drive in order to go to places. Um, so it's very different. I th- I think the distance between the people are larger uh-huh. and yeah it's harder to make friends or harder to uh, well it, it, it's it's debatable well but yeah it's certainly very different uh, especially we're like um students right um, yeah. study abroad so our you know friend circles are rather smaller uh-huh. because we hang out with people who are having a similar background who are also students foreign uh-huh. students yeah. So, so who, yeah. who who were your friends? I mean, were there like was there a very international group of friends then, or did you mostly hang out with um, Chinese speaking friends? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Really? So yeah, I mostly hang out with Chinese speaking friends, but, uh, ah. but I have, I play soccer, you know, football a lot. So uh-huh. I have another set of friends who is just like purely football. But after football, we'll go for a drink or something like that. But. Yeah, but mostly football related. Talking about football related topics, watching mm-hmm. games together. Yeah, so uh, that's basically my social life. It sounds quite boring. It, right? it does. It does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because because it sounds like it's just only home, then work, work, then yeah. soccer, soccer, then home. <laughs> it's yes, like exactly. that's about it. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Yes. Oh, really? <laughs> did your parents go to visit you while you were in the states? Your uh, parents? Yeah. Yes. Yeah? They they did. They did. Yeah, so they, for a few times. yeah. So they yeah. they're happy with how what you're doing with your life. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I, I think they're very you know traditional type of. As long as you do well at school, they didn't have too much other expectation from you, and then basically like let leave me alone to do whatever I want. But yeah, uh, but right. I, I also uh, didn't do much. Outside of work, yeah, outside, outside of school, work. then and now outside of work, you don't do much either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. You know, I was that kind of like homeboy type of you know uh, image, yeah, you know, Zainan type of oh um, people. You know, what do they call those? I mean, home. yeah. Um, yeah. What do they call those? I mean, people, guys who just stay home all the time. You know, yeah, yeah. they don't go out much. Okay, you're one of those kind of people. <laughs> yeah, I see. I was um, one of those. I'm glad I got to talk to Brian Ong because he totally laid out how it is with the Taiwanese education system in his own words. I mean, I've always heard about how it is going to the top university in Taiwan, but it's true. All the top students from all the high schools go there, and then suddenly you find yourself in 50th place at NTU, National Taiwan University, and not in first place anymore. But from the sound of it, I can tell Brian was a very smart student in school. Well, Brian didn't stay in USA. Instead, he moved to Singapore. And we're going to find out why next week. For In the Spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin.
classic shorts, poems, and stories from Chinese literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I am Natalie So. Today we're going to look at a very famous collection of poems written by two famous Tang poets and close friends around the 740s AD and the Tang Dynasty. Wang Wei was a well-known poet and painter, and he began a collection of quatrains, which are two sets of couplets. He describes scenes near his estate. He then sent them to his friend Pei Di, who responded to each with another two couplets. Wang put them together in one of the most famous collections of poems called the Wang Chuan Collection or the Wang River Collection. Before we begin to read it, though, we actually have a copy of the letter that he wrote to his friend Pei Di, and through this we can sense what their friendship was like. Late during the sacrificial month, the weather was calm and clear, and I could easily have crossed the mountains, but I knew that you have to pursue the classics and did not dare to disturb you. So I wandered the hillside, rested at the Kanar Temple, Mary, dined with the mountain priests, and after dinner came home. Going northwards, I crossed the Yuanpa over whose waters the unclouded moon shone with dazzling rim. When the night advanced, I mounted Hua Tzu's hill and saw the moonlight through and through jostling waves of Wang River. Winter mountain distant lights twinkled and vanished. In some deep lane beyond the forest, a dog barked in the cold, with a cry as fierce as wolves. The sound of the peasants grinding corn at night fills in the gaps between the slow ringing of a distant bell. Now I sit alone. I listen, but do not hear my grooms and servants to move or speak. I think a lot of the old days, as from hand to hand, composing poems as we went. We walked down twisting paths to the banks of clean streams. We have to wait for spring. The grass grow and the trees bloom. Then wandering together in the spring hills, we shall see the trout leap lightly from the stream. The white gulls stretch their wings. The dew fall on the green moss. And in the morning, we will hear the cry of the curly in a barley field. He will not keep itself waiting long. Should you be with me? I don't know the natural subtlety of your intelligence. I would not dare address to you so remote an invitation. You realize that deep sense dictates this course. Written without disrespect to Wang Wei, a resident of the mountains. So these two poets had quite a friendship, and they also displayed it in their unique collection of poetry in which they had a dialogue with each other through poems. The first poem is called Mung Town Gap. New house in a gap of Mung Town's wall. 
old trees remain, all dying willows. People to come, what will they have? Empty sorrow for those of the past. Wang was writing about a new residence and was reminded of the past when he saw a gap in the former town wall. He was expressing his nostalgia for people and places past. This was Pei response to that poem. Hut built beneath an ancient town. Time stepped upon the ancient town. Wasn't the ancient town once farmland? Of course, new people come and go. This unique poetic conversation continues with this poem called Hua Zi Ridge. Birds flying endlessly away, mountain on mountain of autumn colors, ascending, descending Hua Zi Ridge. When will this melancholy end? So here, the fading of autumn that Wang Wei sees inspires some melancholy sentiments. Because for Buddhists, it's a reminder that we too shall fade. This is what Haiti wrote in response. Sunsets, wind rises in the pines. Returning home, dews dried in the grass. With clouds alight, I tread on footprints. In green hills, brush off this one's clothes. Those are some of the poems in the very famous Wang River collection. We'll be reading more in the weeks to come from this very special poet duo, Wang Wei and Peidi. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. Listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I am Paula Chow, the program host. Taiwan's patrol guard is planning to hold another live fire drill on Dongsha Island next Tuesday. That's after it held a similar drill there on Monday. The first day, China began its month-long military exercises in the South China Sea. Dongsha Island, located in southwestern Taiwan, is Taiwan's territory. The drills are aimed at simulating an attack from China amid escalating tensions in the region. The archived video footage underlines the importance of military preparedness in the face of China's aggression. The defense ministry said Chinese military aircraft has flown across the median line of the Taiwan Strait several times in the past few years. China's incursions have prompted the government to review its reserve force. 
To begin with, there is not enough manpower. Although there are enough weapons for the infantry and equipment for engineers, they are not properly equipped. Chemical equipment is either outdated or insufficient. There is also not enough telecommunications equipment and military doctors. In a film interview, Tamkang University professor Alexander Huang said the lack of personnel and equipment has been a long-term problem. He said setting up a reserve mobilization unit will be a good move. In 2019, Greenpeace Taiwan conducted a study to find out just how much plastic packaging retail outlets were using. The findings were meant to discourage the use of plastics, but a follow-up study done in January this year shows that grocery stores are actually using even more plastic than before. Rows and rows of fresh groceries, all individually packed. It might be convenient, and it might even make products look more desirable. But that's a whole lot of plastic. Greenpeace Taiwan conducted a study in 2019 on how much plastic Taiwan's retailers used to package their products. The final verdict: too much. Cut to January 2021. Greenpeace conducts a follow-up study and finds that the use of plastics to pack fresh groceries in supermarkets has increased 4%. Over 90% of grocery store products are packed in plastic. Greenpeace says enterprises are approaching product packaging incorrectly. Many of Taiwan's biggest chain stores have adopted PLA plastic, which is supposedly easier to compost and recycle. However, Greenpeace says recycling PLA requires precise infrastructure and proper conditions that Taiwan just doesn't have. You can't just throw PLA into the dirt and expect it to degrade naturally. In Taiwan, PLA is just more disposable, single-use waste that sticks around for generations. Leslie Liao, RTI News. Sungmeng Lake in Nantou County is considered one of the most beautiful places to vacation in Taiwan. However, lately, with the lack of rain, the water level in the lake has dropped sharply, making visitors do a lot more climbing than they had expected. With little rain in recent months, the water level in Sunmoon Lake has dropped to 739 meters, the lowest ever in 20 years. That's a drop of about 10 meters from the usual water level. Less water also means that the ramp that connects the pier to the floating platform to get to the ferries is now slanted much more steeply. It went from the usual 30 degrees to 60 degrees. Getting off the boats and walking up the bridge has become somewhat of a challenge. A father breaks out in a sweat after carrying his child in a baby stroller up the steep ramp. Someone else decides to carry a wheelchair up the bridge first before going back to piggyback the person who uses the wheelchair. The management office said that if the water level continues to fall, lifeboats won't be able to operate properly if an accident should happen on the lake. The office says the only thing that we can do now is to pray for more rain. Shirley Lin, RTI News. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. Taiwan may be famed for its delicious street food, but for many vegetarians, it can be hard to find things they can eat. 
that's prompted one group of stall owners to create a new kind of night market experience. Hamburgers sizzle away on a street food stall stove. Looking at them, you'd never know that these burgers are completely meat-free. The stall owner says he grew up eating veggie burgers and wanted to share the experience. All around are long lines of people waiting to have a taste. This mini veggie night market has no fixed location, moving and stopping at places all around the island. So if you want to try, you better move fast. Steam rises from dumplings slathered in sauce. Deep-fried veggie skewers rise out of the pot. It's enough to make anyone's mouth water. Visitors can even try a fried chicken cutlet. Veggie options at night markets are usually limited, so it's heaven for those avoiding meat. In fact, some people don't know where to start. One woman says it all looks great. There aren't many veggie night markets, so everyone has come to try. The market arrived at Ilan on Taiwan's east coast on Thursday. So Taiwan's vegetarians, stay tuned. Veggie food is coming to a night market near you. Stash Butler, RTI News. February 26 was the Lantern Festival. A temple in Tainan continued a Lantern Festival tradition having to do with the Year of the Ox that announces the beginning of spring. Tainan Mayor Huang Weizhe could be seen on the day of the Lantern Festival using a pole to hit an ox figure made with paper mache. This is no piñata. It's a tradition called whipping the spring ox, which announces the start of farming for the year and wishes for a good harvest. The ritual was held at the Orthodox Luermen Shenmu Temple in Tainan. After the whipping ceremony, the paper mache ox is then set on fire, and its ashes are put inside 300 sachets to be given away to worshippers for good luck. Some people were there as early as 5.30 in the morning to get in line to try their hands at getting one of those lucky charms. Those who weren't lucky could still get a little keychain with an ox on it. The event attracts hundreds of thousands of spectators every year to ring in the spring. Shirley Lin, RTI News. Despite the cancellation of the Taiwan Lantern Festival, enchanting lanterns can be seen throughout Taiwan during the Lunar New Year season. Taiwan's Lantern Festival has been canceled due to COVID. But that doesn't mean people aren't enjoying the captivating symbols of light and good fortune in Taiwan. You can see them all around town as enchanting decor in shopping centers, restaurants, and even workplaces to bring a little New Year's luck to us at RTI. If you'd like to take home your own lucky light, you might want to check out the 100-year-old lantern store in the old part of Taipei called Dadaochen. You can buy them in a variety of charming colors, motifs, and textures. I found a precious hand-painted one that reminds me of my favorite animal, Felix the Cat. Happy Lantern Festival! And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. For Radio Taiwan International, I'm Paula Chow. RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one. 
What platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two. Which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three. Out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four. What are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. The main sport in Peru is gastronomy. So I think with this, we describe very well what happened with the gastronomy of Peru. And the reason that our gastronomy is good, and sometimes could be awesome because of many rankings in the world that put Peru in the top, for example, in the best 50 restaurants in the world, we have three. Hello and welcome to this week's Online brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. How much do you know about Peru Inca culture, Machu Picchu, but Peru is more than Machu Picchu and Inca civilization. Did you know that in 2019, Peru won the best culinary destination award again, and Peru is one of the world's top gastronomic countries? To find out more, we're joined today by Mr. Juan Luis Cuyang Ruiz, the director of the commercial office of Peru in Taipei. Peru is really a world of gourmet industry. Now, tell us about the gastronomy in Peru. You know, the main sport in Brazil is football. Yes. Okay? The main sport in Peru is gastronomy. So I think with this, we describe very well what happened with the gastronomy of Peru. And the reason that our gastronomy is good and sometimes could be awesome because of many rankings in the world that put Peru in the top, for example, in the best 50 restaurants in the world, we have three, always. Two of them are in the top 10, number six and number seven. That is Maido, the chef was here in 2019, mm -hmm. you know. On December, he came here and he made a show in the raw restaurant and was awesome. And Ro is one of the most expensive restaurants in Taiwan. Exactly. And you know, what was uh, the reason of our gastronomy, the success of, the, of our gastronomy? It's because of this. Maido is a gastronomy fusion of Japanese and Peruvian food. Mm. But also, the number seven is Central. Central is the name of the restaurant. Central is a very gourmet restaurant with all Andean ingredients because we in Peru have Andean's mountain but also the number 31st is Astrid Gaston that he studied I mean Gaston the chef he mm -hmm. studied in France and we received many immigration from all the world 7.5 million of people in Peru we are 33 million population in Peru 
7.5 million in Peru are descendants of Asian people, mainly from China and mainly from Japan. So we make fusion of the food, but not only with them, also with Italians, German, Spain, Turkey, Africa countries. That's the reason of the gastronomy. But the other reason is the ingredients that we use in our gastronomy. Because, for example, Carson, did you know that Peru has over 3,500 different kinds of potatoes? Um, that I learned from one of the seminars that we had about a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yes, imagine, incredible. Imagine how But it's imagine. not only that. We have over 3,000 different kinds of peppers in Peru. We have more than 2,800 different kinds of corns. So, if we use all the traditional culinary from origins, from Japan, China, Italy, Spain, Turkey, Africa, and wherever, and then we use the Incas ancestor knowledge, and then we use these ingredients, the result is that. In Latin America, we have 20, from the best 50 restaurants in Latin America, we have 25 restaurants. And in the world, we have three. Mm -hmm. And But a lot of people say that, uh, you know, Peru can become one of the world's top gastronomy countries, as you mentioned earlier, director, that because of its cultural diversity, you know, uh, 7.5 million people are from Asia. But apart from that, also its geographical location. You mentioned uh, you have about 3,500 potatoes, more than 3,000 uh, peppers. But most importantly, also the power of imagination. Do you agree? Exactly. Totally true. We, like commercial office, we try to be very creative. Mm -hmm. And this is our main goal. As I told you before, when we try to push some specific product to enter to this market in Taiwan, we try to choose the best product, not only a common product. If we try to promote in Chakuo or Sacha Inchi oil, it's because this product is good for your health, because it's the only, the only product in the world that you can harvest in the, in the earth who has omega-3, 6, and 9. This is one option. But if I try to push, for example, coffee, <laughs> you know, I will give to you not only a simple coffee, I will try to give to you the best coffee of Peru or the best chocolate in Peru. For example, I was surprised. Last year was the first time that one Taiwanese company participated in the COE Peru, the Cup of Excellence Peru, and they won. So it's, it, it wasn't only to participate, they won. And won means they bet for the auction to get this micro lot of coffee. Coffee around at least 91 points to over. We have here in Taiwan Peruvian coffee who has 94 points. Wow. You know, it's really high level. And we are talking about geishas because mm. we have geishas. Mm. We are talking about katura. We are talking about bourbons. We are talking about many different kinds of coffee. So if we want to push the coffee here, for example, let me tell you that now in Taiwan, now I mean right now, there is one of the few places of the world, maybe maybe the only one, 
who has the top ranking, the 10 best 10 coffees of Peru in the uh, uh, of Peru here. You can get it here now. In Taiwan. In Taiwan. And it's the not usual who has Peruvian the best coffee. Yes, but we are talking the top 10. Mm-hmm. We are not talking just the first or the second one. We are talking the top 10. Mm-hmm. So it's good to be. Uh, uh, of course, I have to, to say thank you because it's because of the local companies. You're listening to On the Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong, and today I'm speaking with Mr. Juan Luis Cuyang Ruiz, the director of the Commercial Office of Peru in Taipei. Yeah, it's good to know that we can enjoy all the best food that you can have here in Taiwan, some of it. But, you know, to really enjoy the authentic Peruvian food, you know, to, to enjoy the gastronomy, you have to be in Peru. And, of course, now with the pandemic, um, I think it has limited our travel options. But I know Director Juan Luis Cuyang Ruiz, you have been trying to promote Peru. And you have told the people in Taiwan, Peru is not only Machu Picchu or, or, or the, the Sacred Valley. Now, where else would you recommend to our Taiwanese people or, you know, our friends worldwide? You know, one of the, first of all, you know that you don't need visa to go to Peru. So it's really easy to go there. You can go by LA or you can go by Amsterdam or you choose your best way to go to, to Peru. Uh, it's true. We have Machu Picchu, one of the seven wonderful places of the world. For us, could be good, but the problem is that we have at least four places like Machu Picchu in Peru, but <laughs> that nobody knows. For example, we have Choquenquirao in Cusco. We have Cuelap in the jungle. We have Caral in Lima. We have Nazca Lines. We have pyramids of the Lord of Sipan in the north of Peru. We have the Lady of Cao in the north of Peru. And we have many places that we didn't discover yet. Because 62% of our territory is jungle. is virgin jungle. You know. Then we have mountains. Then we have coast. And we have sea. That's the, the, the description of, of, of my country, Peru. And with this... I suggest to visit many places. We have very good museums in Peru. Uh, For example, one museum in Peru, the Larcos Museum, is considered in the top 20 best museums in the world. Larcos. Larco. Yeah, the Larco Museum. It's nice. It's wonderful. We have the Gold Museum because we are a big producer of gold Mm -hmm. so that nobody knows as well that. So imagine when you go to Peru and make tourism there. You can visit museums. You can visit natural places because it's the new trends of tourists from the next years because of the COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, Machu Picchu is not a closed place. It's a city open, so it's easy to go. And we, like this, we have many different kind of this. We have one of the best gastronomies in the world that you can try it in Peru. So all of this... We call Peru is rich, but it's rich not with our not because of our resources. Peru is rich because we can give richness for experience to the people. That's that we consider that we are rich. 
from a country where you can enjoy the best food in the world, and how do you like the food here in Taiwan as a I, Peruvian? <laughs> I love New Romian. I love uh, the meat, beef noodles. Oh, sorry, meat beef noodles. I love many, many different. Uh, for example, I try cherry duck, and mm. I really like it. Uh, it's the, the, the diversity of gastronomy here is really nice, you know. Even uh, even the stinky tofu, it's okay. <laughs> like experience, very it's, adventurous. And, you know, it depends on the culture. In Peru, there are people who usually eat guinea pig. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's natural. It's common for us. Like in in Australia, you can eat kangaroo. Yeah. So it's usual. So it depends on the culture. You have to try it at least for one time, but you have to try it, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. But I think Taiwan has much, much more than, than a stinky tofu. Mm -hmm. Really much another option that are really, really nice and good. And uh, Dorito, what is on your agenda for 2021? Well, our agenda, first of all, we have just one slogan to everyone, to every company, to every uh, Taiwanese people here. Our main slogan for everyone that make us be different to other countries it's please tell us how can we like commercial office can help to you in every way so our secret is we usually work very close with companies because it's not thank you for purchase from Peru or thank you for visiting Peru or thank you for promote tourists in Peru it's not that left them alone it's let us help to you and we can work together. And we have many examples with this. As I told you, with a coffee example, mm -hmm. since years ago, no companies participate in that. And for the first time, we work with this company, Velaitan, and they bought that. It's not usual. The same with chocolate, the same with NSG, with scallop that for the first time enter shrimps that enter for first time after many years, you know. So we usually work together. So first, our activity will be, we are going to be very creative, really very creative. We usually participate in the main trade shows here, like Food Taipei or International Tea Coffee Show on November. Also in ITF, that is an international travel fair. But between those three firms, you know, last year we were the only country who made an online campaign for promote coffee. It was creative. We pushed the people who create a, a, a drink using, using, not, using not only coffee, using coffee, Peruvian coffee, and also quinoa, sachanchi oil, or maca, or chocolate, or cocoa, or whatever. And they had to take a picture and make a small video, upload to one platform, and the people have to vote. Because this is the new trend, mm -hmm. to make it everything virtual. We made last year at least eight uh, virtual roadshow or virtual meetings between Peruvian companies and Taiwanese companies. So this uh, new situation of the world has to make us be very, very creative. Creativity and uh, let's work together. And that's the word from the director of the Commercial Office of Peru in Taipei, Mr. Juan Luis Cuyang Ruiz. And that's it for this week's Online, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening to us in the next week. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.